Hello, and welcome to Sound Up Seattle. It has been a hot minute since I've seen John because he was gone last week, but... I was lost in the woods, but I'm back now. <laughs> I've picked him up from the wilderness. He's, <laughs> he's returned to me. Um, Still covered in leaves and ready to record. <laughs> um, today we are going to talk about uh, the Mariners and kind of their not-so-great start. Let's call it lukewarm. <laughs> Um, the Kraken, and hey, they made the playoffs. We're going to talk about that. Let's go. First time in franchise history. Can you believe that? Honestly, First time in the history of the franchise. Crazy. Um, and then the last thing is the Seattle Storm. They had a, had a draft, and we're going to talk about their first three picks, kind of touch on them, and uh, a little bit about the future of the Storm. Yeah, what's it going to look like going forward? I know you all are craving that Seattle Storm talk, so yeah. we're here to provide it for you. First one of the year. First Seattle Storm <laughs> discussion. One of many. As always... I am your host, John Carey, and my, uh, we'll call him co-host, Tyler Cartwright. Yeah, thank I you. I like to think of you as more of a podcast valet. <laughs> I don't even know what that would mean. Do I, are you saying I, saying I steer the ship? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You, Which is very true. I do all the editing and recording. You steer, you steer <laughs> the ship, but I am the ship. So, so... You're the car that I'm interesting. All right. Anyways, <laughs> uh, we have to start. We're going to talk about the Mariners. Um, they started off five and eight. Five and eight. Not looking too great out there defensively. Um, the offense has been a little streaky. I would I would say they're not like a consistent four runs a game, but they've been getting eight or nine or one, and it's kind of a kind of a hit or miss thing. Um, First off, we're recording this on Wednesday. Jared Kelnick has three home runs in the last three games. Hey, Jared Kelnick. He's one of the guys you highlighted before the start <laughs> of the year. Here's Whoa. a tip of the cap to you, Tyler. <laughs> um, some other news. Robbie Ray's out with an injury. He's got a left uh, flexor strain, I believe, in his shoulder. Um, and Andres Munoz, our hot start, or I guess hot finish closer, um, is out with some shoulder stiffness. Um, he didn't really get ramped up super well, so it was uh, it was a delayed start, and he uh, wasn't ready for the season, I believe. That's funny. Robbie Ray being out, you'd think our record would be better than otherwise. <laughs> Not the other way around. That's strange, huh? Well, it's funny. Everybody, like I said the last pot or two podcasts ago, I was like, everybody's keen on Robbie Ray being a... Uh, being better than he was last year, and it's not looking as hot. <laughs> He's more hurt than he was last year. Um, okay, so yeah. Lukewarm would probably be a little generous. Five and eight. The Mariners have also played three teams over the course of those 13 games. They've played the Guardians, the Angels, and the Cubs. Not exactly the cream of the crop in the MLB. All perfectly average teams. The Guardians are pretty good. They're probably going to win the Central. They're not going to get above 100 wins, but... They are absolutely not going to get above 100 wins. Yeah. I, they may not give above 90 wins. They're, well, they'll get above 90, but they'll be like near where the Mariners end up, I think, in terms of their, their final record. Part of that, the, you know, little asterisk at the bottom. The Central is a disaster. Yes. So there's like... They're going to win it with 91 wins. There's like 15 <laughs> wins built into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. Guardians, we'll give them a slightly above average. Cubs, realistically... Slightly below average. Yeah, maybe mid-tier of their division. I would be surprised if they finished with a positive record this season. And then the Angels, you were hot on. I was cold on going into the year. They're 1-2 and two against the Angels. <laughs> they are 1-2 and two against the Angels. I don't know what the Angels' record is this year. I know Otani's playing well, believe it or not. Yeah, shocking. Uh, I haven't checked recently. I know the AL West is very tight right now. Um, I know the Astros, I believe you said, are 6-7. and seven. Um, the Rangers started off a little hot. Obviously, the A's have been booty cheeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> Angels are seven and five. Angels are seven and five, leading the. Uh, I guess not leading the charge because the Rangers, but they're God. up there. The Rangers suck. I'm I'm doubling <laughs> down on this take. We talked about it last time. You said they were good. I said they were trash. They're leading the division. They are trash. <laughs> they are trash in sheep's clothing. Just you wait and see. I uh, I appreciate that. We're gonna need them to be trash if we're gonna if we're gonna surpass them this season at the rate they're going. Okay, so Mariners are five and eight. They've been playing. I think it's fair to say middle of the pack, if not slightly higher competition. Um, what 
has been the biggest concern that you have seen? What What is not working out that you anticipated working out? Before the season, I think you said we had the best starting rotation and the best bullpen in baseball, or arguably those two things. Arguably. Do you have those two things panned out? Um, well, with the Robbie Ray injury, uh, it's been a little tough to say, you know, with certainty because Flexen replaced him and we've got, you know, kind of two number five starters or who would be two number five starters in our rotation pitching in the two and four hole. Very so, <laughs> Yeah, that will affect things. Um, but what I will say is they've just been kind of sloppy in terms of like they've made a lot of errors. They've uh, they're pitching hasn't been super consistent in terms of controlling the zone, throwing a lot of strikes. There's been a lot more walks. I think George Kirby had a couple walks in his first start. He toned it down last time and had a really good one, but nice. he wasn't super consistent that first first start. And they're, yes. they're just kind of getting their footing. Now, Logan Gilbert had a great start today. Really good. Flexen yesterday was awful. So it's been very hit or miss. Um, and Flexen's not necessarily somebody you'd expect an excellent start from. Yeah, he's he had a really good start against the... Uh, I believe it was the Guardians. Yeah. Um, his first time out, um, but followed it up with giving up nine runs in three innings. So I would way rather that be the case than the other way around. If Logan Gilbert was playing like trash and Flexen was playing really well, I would be more concerned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the Mariners. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of mistakes uh, fielding wise. There's just been a lot of like dumb plays, especially early on. That second game by the Mariners was atrocious um, against the Guardians, and then. Uh, yeah, pitching and honestly, they're hitting. They've been striking out a lot. Haven't really been been able to like string together a bunch of hits. They've been, you know, uh, Gino's been hot, Ty's been hot, Kelnick's been hot, but it's not like all at once. Like it's kind yes. of like one guy will have a good game, another guy will have a good game the next day. Julio's been very mediocre for Julio standards. Colton Wong started off very slow. Teo hit a home run today, um, but he's he's still a little behind where we thought he would be. Um, so just, yeah, just not playing up to where we thought they would be. And so with what you're saying with these kind of streaky hitting from different guys, you think it's reasonable to say they're probably leaving a lot of runners in scoring position. Yeah. And a lot of singles, doubles that aren't necessarily getting paid off because the rest of the team's not doing their job. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Also, a lot of hard hit balls that just are hit right at people. And I think those find the bleachers in uh, later in the year where it's when it's warm and the ball tra- travels a little further. Wow. Um, I love that. I was going to say, oh yeah, later in the year, people are more warmed up. They're, you know, deeper in the season. And you're saying, it's no, all in the weather. <laughs> it's a barometric issue is what it is. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. There was a bunch of, bunch of balls in, uh, the opening series in T-Mobile or the opening t- two sets of series in T-Mobile that were, felt like they would have gone out on a, on a hot summer day. It's been dumping rain here in Seattle. The air is heavy. I'm surprised we're getting anything out of the park. Um, well, that's good. I also, you know, the downside of a 162-game season, if any such thing exists, uh, is the fact that spring training becomes completely irrelevant, and then the first 20 games of the season kind of becomes spring training, in that, like, it's not time to overreact. Yeah. The We are 5-8, and eight, the defending World Series champions who are fairly universally agreed to be the best team in baseball if not top three at least best team in the al yeah they are six and seven so you know we only need to dump stock if astros fans are and i do not believe that they are so it's always the beginning of the year is always kind of fluky on the other side of things the cubs are seven and five now i believe seven and six um leading the nl central i believe unless st louis st louis might be better than them but that's very exciting for any potential Cubs fans out there. Um, would I... Any potential Cubs fans, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, well, it depends how they do. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm, you know, going to a bookie and putting money on the over for the Cubs season, you know. 12 games in, it's Are been... Are you a... sure? It's been... <laughs> well, don't tell me. <laughs> it's been a fun, fun 12 games, but uh, water seems to find its level, and I think that will mean teams wow. like... Wow, what a statement. That's right. That's right. My brother's a hydraulic engineer. He <laughs> says that at least eight times a day, and it drives me crazy. Um, I think that'll mean teams like the Cubs, and to a much greater extent, the Texas Rangers, are going to dive. And teams like the Astros and the Mariners will continue to rise. Yeah, things will things will level out. I would say 
yeah, it's it. I think the consistency game to game has been the the big thing that the Mariners have been lacking. You know, yesterday they scored, or I guess not game to game, but within each game, they're not like consistently scoring. You know, two runs in three innings or something like that to score six. They're scoring seven runs in one inning and then or, zero and the then rest then of the game. Nothing <laughs> the rest of the game. <laughs> so it's encouraging that they have that kind of upside. Yeah. And we, we can see it. It's, it's obviously there. I think Julio's been hitting into some bad luck. Um, but it's just it's just been a slow start, I think. Colton Wong looks like he's getting there. Um, yeah, some of, the, some of the DH guys that have come in, like uh, Cooper Hummel, Tommy Listella, AJ Pollock. They've been doing well. Um, Listella. No, what did I no, tell you about No, they've been doing Listella? absolutely atrociously. <laughs> I told you he was mediocre. <laughs> um, Murphy's been not very good. I think collectively they're hitting below 150 like Oof. it's uh they're they're probably like five for 45 at this point like it's tough it's not good um which can highlight you know one of the issues that the mariners faced this offseason was addressing the dh now are they preparing for shohei otani perhaps but <laughs> ichiro's north baby <laughs> um but it's been uh it's been pretty lackluster from the dh spot if your dh is hitting eight it's not a great, not very indicative of like a great DH spot, I think. Agreed. Um, We've also, uh, we're going to get in a little bit into the pace of play thing and how that may be affecting baseball in good and bad ways. But I do think it's worth noting while we're talking about this offense-defense balance of the Mariners right now that over the course of their 13 games, they have scored two or less runs twice and lost both those games. And then all the rest of the games, they've scored at least three, including losses where they scored five, three, three, and six, and nine. Um, that would indicate that maybe it's the defense and the pitching that is struggling more than the offense. They're putting runs on the on the board every single game. Yeah. Other than one goose egg in this season opener, they've scored at least... They scored two once and at least three every other game. So they are scoring runs. Not necessarily a ton, but um, if you have the best starting rotation and the best bullpen in baseball and you're scoring three runs every single game, you should win a majority of those games. Yeah, or at least at least be competitive in most of them. I feel like a lot of the times the Mariners, it feels like they're giving up five to seven runs. Agreed. And yeah, it, like I said, it's been sloppy both in controlling the zone and defensively. Um, and I think that'll turn around. Like we've got everybody on the team has good defensive capabilities. Um, and we've seen it from them. It's just like kind of mental lapses is what it looks like sometimes. Yeah. Um, early season, early season. Okay. Here's a good question for you. Strictly based on what you have actually seen on the field, nothing about what you're anticipating, no projections, only results. Who are you most excited about on this Mariners team? Oh, dude. I know where you're going with this. It's Jared Kelnick. That is called a leading question, people. <laughs> Why? Why Gerald Kelnick? Has he done anything Gerald exciting? Gerald <laughs> um, Well, so the three home runs in three games obviously has been exciting. But what we've really seen is his approach. He's hitting like 380 or something right now. His awesome. OPS is at least above 850. Like he's been knocking the crap out of the ball. Um, I will say they're shielding him a lot from left-handed pitching. Which uh, is a little tough because he, you know, in that case, he's only playing in sixty percent of the games or sixty percent of the at bats. Um, but he is tearing the cover off the baseball. He had a four hundred eighty-two foot home run into the Wrigley center field upper deck today, uh, and it looked easy. Yeah. So, what'd you say? Maybe he's doing roids. Maybe he's not. But <laughs> <laughs> what'd you say his OPS was? I said above eight fifty. It's over a thousand. Is it over a thousand? One hundred four. That's the last three days. Maybe it was before I checked. When, and this isn't even including his game today because it's only shown his two home runs. Mm. not including his last one against the Cubs. And he's slugging 636. Yeah, he's he's tearing the cover off the ball. His approach looks great. He's, very, he's being selective and fouling off pitches that he can't do much with, which is what Control of Zone is all about, their philosophy. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the guys are not doing that. Mm-hmm. Granted, Jared Kelnick's strikeout, strikeout percentage is still a little high. I think it's hovering around like 25%. But if you're slugging 636, you're going to be striking out at a higher yeah, rate. You, you take that any day of the week. You can, He's still hitting above 1,000 OPS. Yeah, you cannot be <laughs> ripping the ball the way that he is. 
and not have an above average strikeout rate. It's just not possible. Um, <laughs> Good. Nice work, John. Goodness. I'm going to just keep talking while you re- regather your thoughts. Well, what I was going to ask is... Uh... <laughs> what the fuck was I going to ask? I don't know, dude. Um, I, another guy that I want to highlight is Luis Castillo. He's thrown... Uh, he threw, I believe, 11 innings of shutout ball his first two starts, and then he gave up two runs in his last start against the Cubs, and uh, that was, I believe, over six and two-thirds. Like, he gave him, he's been giving him ace material. That's fantastic. Um, and I just want to touch on that, because he's been he's been great. So Kelnick and him have been the two guys that have shown up, professional, ready yeah. to go. Yeah, them and uh, Gino, which is interesting, it's interesting, Gino has had, like, one home run, but he's still hitting, like, 380 or something like that, 350. Yes. Um... So he's just he's hitting just line drives to left center and right center and everywhere in between there, um, and it's really good to see. He's just like consistent right now. He's kind of got the Ty France style approach where he's just not he's not trying to do too much with it, and he'll get his home runs when they come. But he's just he's being he's doing his thing. Nice. I, what I was gonna ask you: How old is Kelnick? Is he twenty five? I think he's twenty three. <sighs> You're kidding. Twenty three. Yeah. Guy looks like a pro. It's funny, people were like, why, why is Kelnick going to be our starting left fielder at the start of this season? Yeah, there's your answer. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> I would also like to say, you did a great job. You highlighted Kelnick coming into the year. I was the one that said we needed more home run hitting. We needed a slugger is what this team needed. Maybe Kelnick's that guy. Teo also has three home runs. Like I said, Teoscar Hernandez. Now, Julio is behind on my bet. He's only had one, I believe. But I don't think anybody's concerned about Julio Rodriguez. No. Uh, but Teo's got three. Like, I think our outfield actually is the, the power source right now with Ty and Gino. Like, Gino, you would expect to have maybe another home run or two sure. at this point in the season. But uh, he started off a little slow in the power game, but he's still getting on base. Like I said, we just got to stream them together. Okay, fair enough. Um, we want to talk a little bit about... Rule changes in baseball? How it's looking? Yeah, let's do it. Um, how have you... I guess you haven't watched a ton of games. Um, I will say, so pitch clock violations, I think I told this to you earlier, I think they're averaging, the MLB is averaging like 0.9 pitch clock violations per game, which is good. Less than one pitch clock violation per game. If you think about it, that's the Mariners' total pitch clock violations is going to be... 162. Well, that's not right. That doesn't feel right. 162 on the year? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's one per team per game. So it's it'd be 81 a year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, It's that's what I was thinking. It's one pitch clock violation per game. But also, Math. that's not, you know, if you looked at the first three games, I'm sure it was like 1.5 or something. Yeah, it'll go down. It takes people a while to get used to the system. By the end of the year, we should not be seeing a pitch clock violation per game. Yeah. Um, the real key is... They're not. It's not affecting the game that much. I feel like in terms of the not in terms of quality of ball. What yeah. you could say, I do think this year has been pretty high scoring so far. When pitchers don't have quite as much time to stare things down, catch their breath, straighten out. Um, I think we are seeing some juiced runs per game in the MLB. That could also just be beginning of the year. You yeah, know, pitchers might be coming in a little rusty. Um, it'll be interesting to see over the course of the year if that plays out. There's nothing wrong with that hypothetically what it's going to do is it's going to reward pitchers that are able to gather quickly um and it will you know raise offensive output in the mlb which is what or not, everybody wants what everybody wants especially the mlb yeah manfred is psyched um can you remind me the violation for a pitch clock violation that's is it a ball or is it a base it's a it's a ball uh if the pitcher gives it up it's a strike if the batter takes too long. Correct. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it goes against whoever violated it. But, okay. yeah, it's, but just a, ball, a, single, it's a pitch. It's yes. a single pitch. Great. That's that's easy. One a game. Talking about one ball or one strike per game based on cutting the game by half an hour and juicing the runs, that is a home run. Pardon my delicious punnage. Um, one thing that I've noticed that I haven't heard many people talk about with the pitch clock um, and the, the pace of play being a little bit faster is, and maybe it's because they're not in their in their full form at the moment, but umps have not been nearly as consistent this year 
as I feel like so? they have been in past years. Well, that that just as likely to affect them as a pitcher. Yeah. You know, they've got their mental chart there, and they're having to call things and reset very quickly. Yeah. Um, robot ump? Too soon? I think it'll it'll be a few years before that really gets integrated. We're already making um, changes. It's only a matter of time. I know. It's the easiest change in the world. Look at tennis, people. <laughs> That's true, actually. It's it's amazing. It's so accurate. <laughs> it's so easy to make these decisions. Players challenge every once in a while. We look at it. No brainer. <laughs> Nobody has ever. Nobody's been mad at a at a tennis official since John McEnroe. You know why? Because we figured it out. <laughs> um. One other thing that I wanted to touch on was the stolen base. I was about to ask you. The other thing people were freaking out about before the season were these big, gigantic bases, and how would that affect. um, Obviously, the point of the bases were to make it safer to slide into bases without potential collisions with uh, the baseman. Um, The baseman? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're right. First baseman, second baseman, that's what you call them. I've never heard it said as just the baseman. The baseman. Sounds like somebody in a band. The, the <laughs> infield. Um, that's kind of a good band name. <laughs> Just all base. <laughs> um, but yeah, have there been any real changes in terms of uh, stealing percentage, stealing success? I've also heard, oh, maybe my favorite rule change was that the pitcher can only... Uh, pick off twice. Check, yeah, pick off. Yeah. Is it twice? I thought it was once. It's twice per at bat. Twice per at bat. I love it. I'm so sick of like the four, four check. Yeah, grosses me out. That's a great rule. It's great. The one thing that it is is like if you check over twice, does that mean that the runner can just get a running start and steal second? Correct. It means don't take the second one unless you have him. Yeah. And you know what it's gonna do? It's gonna juice the steal numbers. Yeah. Which, by the way, nobody's not excited about. Nobody sees somebody steal a base in baseball and is like, oh, what a shame. <laughs> I mean, maybe at the end of the year, but in, yeah. yeah, in game seventeen, we're just excited to see some some runs score. No, the action has been good. Um, some stats for you. So in twenty twenty two through eighty seven games, uh, their stolen base counts were. Uh, is this the MLB? Yes, this is the MLB. What is these different numbers? Um, yeah, I don't know what these are for. Uh, but oh, I guess it's just like statistic. It's gonna give me numbers. Um, there have been. In 2022, it was 0.7 stolen bases per game in 1.02 stolen base attempts per game. It's pretty simple math, about 70%. Yeah, 70%. And in 2023, it's 1.36 stolen bases per game in 1.69 stolen base attempts. So So success success rate went up uh, by about 1.5%. Or no, like 1.5 times what it was. Was the success rate doubled, but the attempts rose by about 50%. So yeah, Yeah. the math checks out there. So that's that's significant. Uh, once again, looking at a small sample size, are, is it comparing the same number of games? It's eighty-seven games to ninety-one, so close. Oh, very close. Yeah. Okay. What I was going to say is maybe early season there's some of that sloppiness coming through, but with those sample sizes being the way that they are, maybe it really is the bases and the the uh, number of pickoff attempts. Some is... of the other, some of the other stuff with that is pitchers are getting used to the new rules, figuring out kind of how to adjust to sure. to, to catch got... runners. They've got a mental um, clock running in their every, head Everything's got to be a little faster, and people are just getting used to it, and I think yeah. the runners had been taking advantage of it. Sure. Um, That's we saw point. Ty France steal third. That was that was crazy. <laughs> first of his career. Yeah, first stolen base of his career. You're kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's think, hilarious. I, I was think. being facetious. Yeah. <laughs> he had an 11-grade speed on MLB The Show, <laughs> and the Mariners were like, we got to get that up. Yeah, we got to get it up. <laughs> 15, baby. That's that's great. You know, And you know... I that's what it. we need. It's just like more action, more exciting. It's one of those rules where it's like, oh, that's going to hurt pitching. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The game has been so offensive, def- offensively deficient for the last like 10 years, ever since basically the steroid era. Yeah. We're also, it's not the 1930s. We have other stuff going on. Nobody wants to watch a 2-1, to 13-inning bout. It's not what people want anymore. We want to see... Run scored. We want to see steals. We want to see fights. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the main issue with baseball it's the same thing that's holding up the electronic umps is just that we're so attached to like being able to compare things historically, and it, that's you know it's one of the cool things about baseball is you can compare somebody today to somebody in 1874, and it's relatively the same game. Yeah, but at some point you have to surrender some of that and say, okay, pitchers are going to get a little bit screwed. 
We're going to juice some batting numbers. Their ERAs are going to go down. That's okay. Let it happen. Then we can judge pitchers compared to their contemporaries based on their performance. Sorry, we're not going to be able to compare people to Babe Ruth anymore, but I'm not sure we need it. No, we don't need that. But yeah, it's it's there's there's eras in sports. Like yes. like I said, the steroid era, a lot more offense, a lot more home runs. Yeah, pitchers weren't that good. Mm-hmm. That's why Roger Clemens and Pedro were so great. It was because they were the best pitchers and they were consistent. Now, or the last 15 years or whatever it was, pitching took over. Batters had a lot harder time adjusting to the new like sliders and everything like that. Um, but the, the, yeah, the increase in offense is going to be great for the game of baseball. It's also, yeah, baseball is the only sport that is like refused to surrender the like different eras mentality of like, no, it's all baseball. You can compare it all like basketball, you know, even Jordan was a different era, but nobody is comparing like Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain to contemporaries. They're just not doing it. It was a different game. Football don't even get me started. (laughs) Matthew Stafford has like the sixth most yards of all time. (laughs) Matthew Stafford is the definition of mediocre in the dictionary. If you look it up, it's just a his picture from college. Um, uh, we're getting a little heated into this. We do. We are on a tight schedule today. We're trying right. to wrap up a little earlier. You're right. Um, so we're any, gonna. Any closing thoughts on the nurse? You know, I know a lot of people are freaking out. It's been 13 games. In the words of Mar- Marshawn Lynch, quit freaking. Call Beacon. <laughs> And that leads us into our ad break. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Enron. Do you love seeing all the juiced statistics in baseball? Well, do we have an idea for you. Juiced statistics, but (laughs) in your bank account. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) That's it. That's That's all I got. Hello. Welcome back. Uh, us, I guess we're we're coming back. You yeah, guys, it's still us. Yeah. It's not a new podcast. <laughs> um, moving on. We hope you enjoyed that Mariners talk. We're gonna move on to the Kraken. We're done with them. Yeah, it's been thirteen games. There's more important things going on in Seattle sports right yeah, now. Yeah, we're gonna talk about a team with a winning goddamn record. Is what we're gonna do in the playoffs. In the playoffs, and so we locked in, and as far as I know, we're still jostling with the kings for the three seed is that correct are you talking about the kraken yeah the la kings no the kraken are the seventh seed we seven seed overall it, yeah sorry are, are, were you thinking what were you thinking of we're fourth in the oh in the, in the division yes okay. yes and we can potentially move up to three over the Kings. yes yeah sorry i was like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> we're this close to the sacramento Kings. <laughs> That's a bonus. He's a hell of a hockey player. Uh, yes. So we're kind of jostling. Um, we can we can catch if the Wild and the Kings lose. We can move up to I believe the six actually or the five. The five. So um, seven, five, or six are our three potential landing yes. spots. Um, In that order. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, and we play the Knights, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, as our as our final game this upcoming Monday. So hey, support your support your Kraken. Or no, they play Thursday. They play tomorrow. Um, but the playoffs start on Monday. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. And the Knights are the two seed, correct? The Knights are the one seed. They could move down to the two if they lose the we beat them and the Edmonton Oilers win. So we could potentially kind of hose ourselves by beating the Knights and then having to play the Knights. Though I guess if we beat them, maybe we want to play them. Yeah. Little psychology. Also, if we beat them, we might move up because the Wild or Kings might move down. It's like a <sighs> whole. That's the thing. We don't know who we're gonna play, and so it's kind of a shit show at the moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting how tight. You know, we've kind of known what the NBA playoff picture was gonna be for the last like two weeks, and here we are with one game left, and there are like five different potential matchups for the Kraken. It's crazy. Yeah, the uh, so they could play currently. They're they're the number seven seed in the uh, Western Conference. And are set to play the Edmonton Oilers. Um, Edmonton, as we said, could win, and the Knights could move down, all that stuff. But right now, the Kraken are playing good, solid hockey. That's what matters. What they're really doing is what any good team does, and that is beat bad teams. Yes. We have won five of our last seven, including, you know, it's really five of our last six. But the reason I say that is because. The five straight wins were against teams below 500, bookended by a loss to the Kings and 
the Golden Knights, the Knights yep. before this next game coming up. So what does that tell you? You know, obviously the Kings and the Knights are both good teams. Um, I wonder if there was any jockeying between the lower, like, I don't really know how the hockey draft works, but I was wa- I'm I wondering if there's lottery, like... lottery, just like... Well, I'm wondering if there's more of like a sell for the bottom teams. Like there is in the NBA where they like really just purposefully lose. With the, um, with the point system, it might be kind of harder to really separate yourself. Yeah. Um, in that same way, because it's not just wins and losses, it's about how you perform. But um, yeah, you could be right. Maybe, yeah, maybe some of those teams were tanking. Maybe they were gifting some late season wins. But um, either way, we've talked before about how frustrating it is that the Kraken will beat good teams and then lose to bad teams. So to just have a stretch where they are taking care of business is nice. And their offense was cooking. In, over that stretch, even in their losses. So, um, a good run of hockey. Yeah. No, they scored 32 goals and allowed nine over that stretch of five five games to bad God, teams. that is nice. And uh, that's just like, that's what you need to do. When you're when you're a good team, you need to be beating the bad teams, like you've said. Yeah. Um, Defense, impressive over that. Yeah. Nine goals in five games, less than two a game. It's good. Um, yeah, the Kraken are... Uh, what was I going to say? Just totally blanked. I pulled a John. Oh, I can't believe you did. <laughs> Do you know if their uh, talented young rookie is back from injury? Veneers? Yeah. Yeah, he's back. Okay, good. Um, one other thing, and might be getting out over our skis here. As our listeners know, we're bit... skates. <laughs> good call. Good call. Keep it topical. Um, it's hard to get out over your skates. <laughs> They're right beneath you. Um, we are both amateurs. In the, in the hockey analysis game. Yes. Still better than ESPN, but just barely. <laughs> um, do you know if you, as a Kraken fan, would rather play the Golden Knights or the Edmonton Oilers? Or is that, are they Saturn to you? Because I will admit they're Saturn to me. They're Pluto, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, even, they don't need to exist. <laughs> even farther away. Um, no, I, I just don't know much about, like, it's easy for me to follow the other teams in baseball and basketball because i understand what's going on still figuring <laughs> still figuring out hockey and, okay uh, best to focus on one team as yeah. you master the fundamentals i also think espn and like a lot of major sports systems don't really like broadcast hockey the same way they do baseball and basketball and so it's harder to follow as a sport you can yes. follow it as a team but yeah even as as you're saying like you can watch the games but the analysis on like a league-wide level is so small. It's really team by team. Like, I know that Boston is monstrous this year and one of the best teams we've had. In, I think they set the record for, for wins, for points, or yeah. wins. Yeah. Oh, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's points. But, it might have been both. I don't know. But anyways. But other than that, like I don't know almost anything about the Eastern Conference. I have not heard any big like overarching conversations about the state of hockey. Is the Eastern Conference better than the Western Conference? Like that, all we have a million conversations about basketball like that every single day, and not as much in hockey. So it is like I feel to... like these conversations that we're having are the same conversations that they're having at ESPN. Like yes, they're like oh, the Bruins have been great. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, stop listening to ESPN. <laughs> we're here and we're free. Um, True. At, at Maybe we'll he... charge you eventually. But <laughs> yeah. Once Enron gets involved, yeah. you'll you'll pay. <laughs> You'll all pay. <laughs> You'll all pay. Um, yeah, that's fair. Obviously, Edmonton and Las Vegas are also very close in points. The fact that they could flip-flop in the last game of the year. So, I also have no thoughts. I guess I would rather play Las Vegas because Canada frightens me as a people. <laughs> I'd like to keep our boys away from that. <laughs> I think as a uh, as a team... In our second year, the, the the Knights are in their third year. Like they're, or they might no, be no, they're fourth. fourth. They might be fourth, but they're two years ahead of us as a franchise, including um, a Stanley Cup in the bag. They've won already, right? Did they win, I'm or did sure. they lose in the Stanley Cup? They might have lost in the Stanley Cup. I don't think they've won. They've at least been to one. Yeah, um, but the the Kraken are like you know fresh babies being pulled up into the into the Stanley Cup. The Knights are pretty close. In terms of, like, they haven't had a lot of, like, consistency with their team. There's not, like, a yes. lot of, like, build-up. Not a huge fan base built in. In terms of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of when you play a lot with the same guys? Oh, cohesion. Consistency. Cohesion. Yeah, yeah, consistency. They don't have a ton of that, I think. Like, maybe there's a couple guys who have stuck around. They, but... Yeah, certainly some, but maybe not compared to a team like Edmonton. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and granted, we don't we don't know how those rosters are constructed. Don't get me wrong. We we are just saying these things based on what we know, and more importantly, what we think. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, if if you had a if you had a gun to your head, God forbid, and you were handed a map of Canada, and within five hundred miles had to locate the city of Edmonton, how quickly would you surrender? <laughs> What's funny is I dated a girl in high school who was like Canadian and her family lived in Edmonton. Oh, nice. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, oh, Tyler, wrong answer. There. Sorry if you're listening to this. What's her name? I'm not going to announce first that one. First name, first name. <laughs> Damn. Um, well, sorry to her. That's tough. Edmonton, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty close, Canada. actually. Like it's like relative th- to like Toronto, I think it's pretty close to us. Sure, that's I, why it's in the Western Conference. <laughs> I think it's like West Central. Uh, you know, Oilers. I think it's up 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 near the tundra a bit. I think, but good God, I would, I would. Throw you can fly my planes out. up north that high or that far up. I would. I would think I would take throwing mm-hmm. a dart at a dartboard and having to hit a bullseye over trying to pick <laughs> Edmonton within a thousand miles. We should do that after this podcast is over, just to take a little stab at it. <laughs> It's like pinning the tail on the donkey. Yep. Um, okay, another thing that was uh, has has been a light topic of discussion for the Kraken is uh, Grubauer, their goaltender, goalkeeper. Mm. Goaltender. <laughs> Tending goal. <laughs> uh, they have a couple couple goalies, um, and he kind of, it seems like he's solidified his role as, as the, the, one. the one for at least, you know, this year in the playoffs. Um, any other thoughts on that? There's been a lot of kind of discussion within like the kraken twitter area yeah, i do not sphere. feel like there's been enough consistency at goalkeeper to uh have really an issue with it like yeah. i don't know who you would bring yeah. to the table and who, say who would come and be better exactly who and you know he has not been everything we could have ever dreamed but maybe just a higher level of consistency than the other guys it's yeah the level of competition for that slot is not so high that that is my main concern. Yeah. You know, he's solid. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's way more about the defense we put around him and more importantly, our Lions ability to, to score goals, uh, than it is about him. You know, I feel like in the playoff guys can get streaky really streaky yeah what i would say is i would be disappointed if the coaching staff got too attached to him that if he's not playing well they refuse to pull him and give somebody else a chance i think giving him the one slot and letting him have it making it his job to lose is completely reasonable he's yeah. been our best guy but uh if in those first couple of games he comes out cold there's no reason i would say not to get him out and try somebody else's luck yeah i i like that philosophy i think that's a it's a good way to think about it. Goalkeepers, man. Strange bunch. They're they're very strange, and they're just like really hard to come by a really good, solid one that you're yeah. going to have stick around for a while. It's kind of like pitching. Like, if Robbie Ray's had a bad couple starts, maybe don't put him against Jordan in the, in the game-winning situation, you know? We don't like to think about that, John. I don't know why you brought that up. I think about it every single day. <laughs> I wake up screaming every morning. Um... Any more thoughts? I know I said we're trying to wrap up pretty easily, pretty quickly. So, uh, any final thoughts before the Kraken's first game? I, you know, I guess my final thought is just I'm really excited. We're gonna watch that together. We're watching it together. Uh, last year, first year of the Kraken, great to have a team. Sad we didn't make it, but you know, it's the first year of a franchise, you can't exactly expect a Stanley Cup. Yeah. I don't necessarily expect a Stanley Cup this year. I'm really excited that we made it. It's great to be relevant makes it a lot easier to get invested and work things out. Regardless of what happens, it'll make me more excited for next year, the fact that we made it this year. Um, Some really, really good positive momentum for the team and more importantly, just for the franchise going forward. You know, I think... I was talking to somebody recently about the Arizona Coyotes and what just a mess that franchise is. And they were like, they were telling me, it's like, yeah, why, why start a hockey team in Arizona? It's like... That's true, but look at Tampa Bay. Look at some of these other... Florida hockey has been bombing. Nashville, really good. Um, I don't... You know, if it's hot outside, you want to go into a cold rink and watch some hockey, it's like they should have the best fan bases. But that's a franchise that just started so cold out of the gates. Their first, like, five years, they were so mediocre that they dug themselves into a hole is kind of a perennial joke, and I I think they're going to have a hard time digging themselves out of it. 
I'm very excited for the Kraken. I did not think it would be the case, but I'm excited that they avoided that possibility. They're here. They're relevant. Let's the see city of Seattle is behind them. Like Everybody in Seattle is rooting for the Kraken so hard. People are excited. I know people that do not watch sports that are avid Kraken fans. It's really cool how people have adopted it. Yeah. Um, this is... It'll be, I mean, when the Sonics come back, it'll be interesting to see how quickly everything just like reverts back to like, oh, the Sonics are the thing kind of in Seattle. It will be, it might steal a bit of the thunder. (laughs) (laughs) That one hurt me. Um, That one felt bad. (laughs) Stealing a little bit of thunder from the Kraken, but we will see. I just, I think that kind of wraps our hockey conversation. Is that fair? Yeah. I just want to say, hey, go squids. Go squids, baby. (laughs) Just really, you mentioned them and I just have to say, Speaking of the Seattle Sonics, fingers crossed. Um, just more just good things I've been hearing recently. Obviously, there have been rumblings that this is a done deal. We know the locations. It's Las Vegas and Seattle, two NBA expansion teams, 16 in each conference. Um, but just hearing, I was listening to, a, a, I think, a Bill Simmons podcast the other day, and just hearing a couple of people talk about how almost over deep the NBA is recently. There's just like almost a little too much talent in the league right now for its size. And that it's kind of diluting the, uh, the talent level. It's making depth less important in the league. The Suns are a great example. The Phoenix Suns traded the farm for Kevin Durant and have a real chance to win the title. And they have, there's so much talent in the NBA. They can afford to basically just pick guys up off the ground that can play. Yeah. Um, the league needs expansion. And not only would it be good for Seattle and Vegas and good for like revenue, it would be good for the product on the court to get yeah. two more teams of guys, dilute some of this superstardom, make depth matter more, make individual stars matter more. Um, and even though I think it was already a done deal, it's just like great confirmation that like, no, all the signs are pointing to expansion, all of them. And they're pointing to it within the next couple of years. So we're excited looking at the looking we at the Sonics. Are excited. Sonics are coming back to Seattle, and it's it's going to be great. And you're going to hear it from us as soon as it happens. We're going to be talking about it as much as we can because, as we've said before, we love basketball, and we are stoked for that to come back. So excited. Um, moving to more Seattle basketball news, we really wanted to talk a bit about the Storm and the, a little bit about their draft and the upcoming year. Um, so the WNBA draft was two days ago? Um, I believe so. It started happening while I was working on Monday. Yes. That okay. was when it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it started Monday and, uh, we, you know, we don't, we didn't go too far into depth, but we know they had the ninth, 18th and 21st overall picks, um, 16 teams in the WNBA just for so your 18th and 21st picks were in the second round. Correct. Just for your reference. Um, and got some talented players. Um, I believe you have some stats for us. You want to give us a little rundown? Yeah, let me got? give you let me give you the picks and where they're from and some stats for for you. So at our number nine pick, um, we picked Jordan Horston out of Tennessee. She's a six two guard who uh, averaged fifteen point six points per game, seven point one rebounds, and three point three assists per game in her twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three campaign. Uh, Tennessee was a really good team. I think she was one of the one of the you know top two guards on that team. You know what I really um, like about that, coming out of the SEC competitive conference, um, a six two guard averaging seven rebounds a game in the SEC. It's a really good sign translating to the NBA. Obviously, a physical player, rebounding talents there. From what I heard, not much of a three point shooter. Yeah, um, only shot under under thirty percent. I think it was twenty seven point three. But particularly in the WNBA, I kind of like having a big, scrappy guard that can work in the paint. Yeah, can fight for offensive rebounds. That's good stuff. Yeah, she might be more of like a like a small forward shooting guard role. Sure. Yeah. Um, with the 18th pick, we selected Maddie Williams out of Oklahoma. She is more of your traditional point guard. She's 5'11", but she averaged 15.7 points a game, 5.4 rebounds, and 3.8 assists. Um, granted. Over the course of her career, from whenever she started, and I believe it was 2019 to 2023, she was averaging more points, and then this previous year she averaged less. So I'm wondering if there was any injury or, or slowdown with that. Yeah, a bit of regression. Um, Can't say I watched a ton of Oklahoma basketball. Yeah. I try to avoid the Big 12 in general, uh, <laughs> just as a general rule. 
We don't like them. Yeah. I also like you got so close to David Stern voice there. I'd I'd love to hear it. With the 18th pick <laughs> in the WNBA draft, the Seattle Storm select Maddie Williams. Maddie Williams. <laughs> um, and then God, the last our number 21 pick it might be my favorite pick. <laughs> you want to try and pronounce the name? She's from Cameroon. Um, her name was, I believe, Dulce. M. M. Just M. We're going to call it M because it's a tough, tough sell. Our friends the, call her Dulcie. <laughs> <laughs> she's from Cameroon? Yeah, she's from Cameroon, um, which is where Joel Embiid is from, I believe, right? I said, yeah, they, I don't know, man. Went in camp. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like there are a lot of really talented Camer- Cameroonian. Camerons, yeah. Camerons. <laughs> the Cameron. Um nba players because obviously joel i think siakam is also from cameroon that's very possible um and maybe maybe og too i'm not just naming raptors but um (laughs) i think cameroon's one of like the big hubs for uh for basketball in africa so not super surprising that's really cool that's cool want to give us a rundown of yeah so she is a double double machine she averaged 16.5 points and 12.3 rebounds Um, with 1.3 assists in her senior season. At um, South Florida. At South Florida. She is 6'4". So she's actually kind of small for a forward in the WNBA. I was looking in, like... I was looking at the... When I was watching the Iowa uh, LSU game in the championship, I was like, wow, these girls, like, don't seem super tall. But I was looking it up, and they were, like, six foot. Like, their point guards were six feet tall. And so I was like, wow, okay, maybe I'm yeah, misjudging little, their little heights. But, um, so 6'4 is a little small for a forward. Sure, but maybe could play the three... Um, Looks like the team focused on rebounding, physicality, typically translates to good defense in this draft. Yeah. Um, I will say they're Dolce, Dolce the pick. <laughs> Dolce, Dolce. Dolce de leche. Um, <laughs> one of those. Uh, no, she averaged, or she didn't take a single three-pointer her entire yes. uh, career when she was at University of South Florida, I believe we said. So how um, that's going to translate to the league She'll either have to learn how to shoot, or she'll have to get much better at passing. Uh, there's a role for her in the WNBA. She could with... just be the Dennis Rodman of the Storm. <laughs> Dennis Rodman was big. Um, yeah, I'd like to see one of those two things improve. Not necessarily both. You know, she's already a really talented player. Not going to ask for everything, but yeah. if she can become a more talented passer, and we can work with her in the high post, or if that she can great, yeah. stretch the floor a bit, that would also be great. Um, obviously, second round pick. See what we get. Um, looking forward, probably going to be down here for the storm. Got We're some... expecting that. They lost Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird. That will do it. Yeah. That will do it. Yeah, it's Sue Bird last year and then Brianna this year. Um, obviously getting some young talent in. But maybe number one pick next year. I think there's some uh, some white girl out of Iowa that's decent at basketball. Uh, yeah, I don't. what's her name again? Catherine clint i think i don't i don't know we'll see what happens um but, but in all seriousness caitlin clark would be a great a great little number one pick as i don't a, even as a, thank goodness we're recording on a wood table man yeah she is something else we were talking before we started just about what like an amazing tournament run it is and at this point we're like way late like it was like a week ago and everybody else in their mother has talked about how amazing caitlin clark is so we don't have to go overboard but just it was kind of cool just what like a cultural touchdown moment it is where just how many people in my life were just texting me like hey are you watching the game this girl's incredible you know the run that she had very reminiscent interestingly of steph curry with 2008 davidson but she carried them even further (laughs) carried them even i mean i was a better team but she did carry them further and not only in like what they did in the tournament in terms of carrying a bad team on their back with high scoring but the way that they play the game um i think she's a more talented passer than steph was in college she may be a more talented passer than steph is right now (laughs) it's a hot take but that girl can throw some passes yeah i've also seen steph curry huck the ball out of bounds a number of times um her ability to pull up from three really awesome i don't know I'm not sure what there's to say. She's really great, and it was really cool. I think this is, going off the Steph Curry topic, uh, it's kind of a renaissance of the game of basketball since Steph Curry started. Yes. You're seeing this wave of people who came in developing their three-point shots. Yes. And working on those. And now you see it in the WNBA where 
in in the or not WNBA the women's basketball. I'm forgetting what the acronym is for it. NCAA women's. Yes, that word. Oh, <laughs> oh that one. Um, you you see it being you see it there where everybody's valuing these these games in this way because the three point shot has become such a like profound art. Yes. Versus and the way it's grown in college basketball has been significant. Yeah. The adoption of the spread offense and some of this stuff that we just weren't seeing a while ago. Well, and yeah, and you see the change in like college bath like men's college basketball doesn't actually have a ton of like star shooting no, at this point it's no. a lot of like athletes for sure um, i would not say that like the steph curry revolution has necessarily reached college basketball but it did feel like it, it reached it does feel like it's college college basketball. Basketball. yeah i completely agree um and you know a lot of that has to do with just like the talent mm-hmm. like hey you know everybody wants to try to be steph curry Believe it or not, it takes more than just, like, going out and hucking up a lot of threes to actually get there. Yeah. And, like, what Caitlin has, as an example, um, is a special level of talent combined with that Steph Curry influence. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure we'll get more, you know, Steph acolytes in men's and women's. But I think she is the first one that everyone kind of looked at each other left and right. They're like, Steph Curry? Yeah. Is this this happening? Women's Steph Curry? (laughs) Um so yeah, I agree. That's interesting how it's and it's making the women's game funner to watch. I think yeah, these last not just this year, these last couple of years. Obviously, Notre Dame's run a couple of years ago was pretty iconic and some massive threes hitting hitting those games. But uh, well, and the fact that UConn isn't the only team in the oh, NCAA women's is uh, is nice. It's yeah. good to have South Carolina. South Carolina was, was big, I was gonna say yeah. the post UConn era has been defined by South Carolina. Seeing them go down, that was also good. Hopefully, a little more parity in years going forward. That will also be very good for the sport. So. Be cool to see how it goes. Yeah. However, we are. Out we of have to go. <laughs> I, I I've got a tea time. I got to get out. Of <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode of Sound Up Seattle, uh, please feel free to follow the podcast on Spotify. It's the only place we're posting anything. So if you found this, I guess if you're on our RSS feed at my mom, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can you can continue to listen there, but. Uh, if you want to find Sound Up Seattle anywhere else or talk to us, DM us. We can be found on Twitter and uh, TikTok. We don't currently have Instagram, I think, but uh, maybe we'll get on that if we ever get really into the podcasting uh, sphere or uh, get big on Twitter by talking a lot of shit to Mariners fans. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I can be reached, me, Tyler, can be reached everywhere at Tycart50. Um, that's T-Y-C-A-R-T-5-0. And again, John, still... You might you might have fell for our uh, for our last <laughs> podcast, but if you did, I'm sorry. We're just you're you're too gullible. That's the <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 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 off the grid, man. I don't know what to tell you. Come find me on the trail where Tyler rescued me. <laughs> um, hey, we hope you have a great Thursday. Excited for the Kraken playoffs to start. We will be podcasting next week, hopefully after their first game, and give you kind of a rundown. Absolutely. Um. And an update on the Mariners season. We got a lot lot in store for this upcoming little stretch. Yeah, it's been um, a bit of break, but we're coming back with a vengeance. Coming back with a fire. Also, we're gonna start living together in a month or so. So So exciting. Even maybe more podcasts? Who knows? Two young lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, go squids. <laughs> go squids.